0: to Acts chapter 2, the book of Acts chapter 2, talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit tonight, and specifically the subject is the work of the Holy Spirit at salvation, not his work to bring men to salvation, but what does he do in the heart of a believer when they get saved? And so, thank you, James. We're going to look at that this afternoon in that list of subjects that Pastor sent me months ago that he would like me to cover and some afternoon services. And um, we have dealt with this subject, some in Sunday school, and um, last month we talked about Um, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but now we're going to get very personal. What if you are saved today, what has the Holy Spirit done in your heart? And if you're not saved today, what he can do if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ? It's an important subject for us to get a handle on, um, or I should say rather uh, an important person for us to get a handle on is the person of the Holy Spirit a good book I read a number of years ago, actually, when I was praying about moving to Houston to come serve here at North Belt. I was reading a book. It was assigned for school. The title of the book was Forgotten God. And I thought that was like almost blasphemous title until I read the introduction. And it was a preacher who written by a preacher who had was rather had been rather charismatic and had been on a very far left-hand side of opinion on the Holy Spirit. And then he got into the scriptures and really searched the scriptures. And his point was he believed that both conservatives um, who have neglected the spirit and charismatics who had abused the spirit were both wrong. And he said on both instances, we have forgotten a member of the Godhead. We have forgotten about an aspect of our God, God the Holy Spirit. And it's something that I believe that we need to um, understand biblically and not be afraid of. I used to be afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit because of differing a view, differing views. Um, when I would pray in privacy with God, just me and God, I would talk to the Holy Spirit, but from the pulpit or in the classroom, I would not address the Holy Spirit because someone might think the wrong thing. Till one day I got under conviction, he's God and it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. So if they don't like me talking to the Holy Spirit, they just shouldn't be listening to me preach. Um, And in fact, when people get upset about the Holy Spirit, I get concerned about their salvation as you'll see today. Because if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit's presence in your heart and in your life. And the scripture teaches very clearly that if you do not have his presence, then you don't belong to God. And so um, I can share the gospel with you if that is the case. Um, But in our day, there is both a neglect. There is also a, as I've said, a perversion of the Holy Spirit um, or a, a abuse of the Spirit. But there's also a third thought that I don't often hear talked about a lot, but that is a rejection of the Holy Spirit. And that's really what we do when we're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit, when we don't acknowledge his presence, when we don't acknowledge his work, um, we're actually rejecting him. I read something by Herbert Lockyer. He said, behind all negligence, perversion, and rejection of the Holy Spirit's operation is the hidden hand of Satan. He fully realizes how detrimental to his satanic plans is a perfect understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit, and to that I can give a hearty amen. Satan doesn't want us to have a biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit, if he can get us to go off in either direction, whether we're scared to talk to him or about him or sing about him because we're conservative, or whether we abuse him and use him for our own means and our own good, and then come up with all kinds of weird, wacky experiences that we end up in, which it's really just experiential Christianity at that point. Um, Either direction, Satan is behind it. And he wants us to miss what is given to us in the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. So let's read a little bit about the coming of the Holy Spirit as we start here tonight in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We'll begin reading at verse 1, Acts 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house. Where they were sitting. <clears throat> and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice they didn't have to conjure this up, they didn't go to classes to learn how to do it. If you have a church that teaches you classes on how to speak in tongues, then you don't have biblical tongues. Let me say that again. If your church offers classes in how to speak in tongues, you do not have biblical tongues. The Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues. They did not need the teacher or as the person that was, when we were in Mexico, Stephen Nelson and I, there was a charismatic um, preacher lady that was there um, on the mission field because another prophetess came to her and told her that in a dream, God had told her that she needed to be a missionary to Mexico. So the woman went to the mission field because a friend had a dream that she needed to go to Mexico. So she went to Mexico as a missionary and we were in church that morning and she got up and took the microphone from the pastor and taught the church how to speak in tongues that morning. Well, we assumed that's what she was doing. We weren't quite sure. It was all in Spanish. We weren't quite sure what she was doing, but then that afternoon she went home with us, Hallelujah, and um, began to teach us things. And one of them was how to speak in tongues. And she said it starts right here in your stomach, and it starts coming up, and you just let it come, and you open your and and it comes out. And my friend Sarah said it sounds like indigestion to me. We were having to laugh to keep our sanity with this crazy lady around, trying to convert us all. Um, the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit filled them. They did not need lessons in how to do it. But there are churches literally today that will give classes on how you can be a better Christian. And one of the things they teach is how to be able to do this. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you have to learn how to do. The Holy Ghost filled them and they began to speak in tongues. Verse number five, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Here's another test for biblical tongues. If someone is speaking in tongues and nobody in the room understands what they're speaking, assume it's not biblical tongues. Um, If you're doing it to show off your Christianity, And to prove something to everybody else, it's not biblical tongues. This was for the purpose of confirming the church, that the Holy Spirit was coming. This was an outward evidence of the Holy Spirit's working. This is for the purpose of preaching the gospel. Read through, I challenge you, read through the book of Acts this week, underline every time the Holy Spirit is mentioned, and see what is in connection to it over and over and over. It's about the gospel going forth. It's not about a bunch of Christians getting together and having some weird prayer meeting. It's about the gospel being preached. That is the purpose of tongues here. That is why the Holy Spirit was coming. He was taking the gospel to the world through the early church, through the believers. And so verse number six, now... When this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Galileans, as we see other places in scripture, didn't have a reputation for being the most educated, the most, you know, they they hadn't gone to the big universities. They were country folks. And said, they said, the ones we hear speaking are Galileans. In other words, what they are hearing, what they are seeing, is not natural to these people doing it. This is the power of the Holy Ghost, very obviously here. And now hear we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. Isn't that interesting? They look and said, these men aren't capable of speaking these languages. There's something up. So Peter begins um, to preach down in verse um, verse 14, he stood up and he began to preach, and he starts to, yeah, they were starting to accuse the men of being drunk. In verse 16, though, he says, "But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the fulfillment of prophecy, he says. And it shall come to pass in the last days, he's quoting from Joel here, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, um, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Interesting here, they're out in the streets, they're sharing the gospel, they're preaching the gospel. And who is it that Joel prophesied would be doing this? I I just think this is interesting here. He said his spirit would be poured out on who? Your sons and your daughters. I've had people say, oh, a girl shouldn't go out and witness. They shouldn't witness to men. Well, that's what was happening here. They all, all the Christians went out witnessing. Now, I have a major disagreement with recent decisions in the Southern Baptist Convention that say women can preach in the church on certain services and all this kind of hogwash completely running away from the scriptures. Um, It's utter foolishness. But there is a place for women to be preaching. I used to hear, he used to have an old Cajun man, he'd tell me, he said, Aaron, he said, the only woman preacher I listen to is my wife. And let me tell you, his wife could preach to him. Um, I heard her preach to him and to his her kids. Um, but where where is it? It was on this day. It's for the presentation of the gospel. We call it witnessing. When we go and share the gospel, doing a Bible club, um, witnessing. There are people who go door-to-door witnessing. Whatever the case is, that is a time where the Holy Spirit has come, and the Holy Spirit wants to work through every single Christian. We've all been given the responsibility of taking the gospel. So Joel had prophesied, my spirit's going to be poured out. They're going to go out. They're going to take the gospel. Now skip down to verse number 32. Uh, Verse number 32, and at the end of his sermon, Peter says, this Jesus hath God raised up, talking about the one you crucified, hath God raised up, whereof we uh, we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. So he said, All this happened because when Jesus got up to heaven, he got at the right hand of the Father, and the Father let it happen, and he's given us the Holy Ghost. He's explaining what's happening on this day. Um, and Let's stop right there in Acts chapter 2. We'll come back to Acts in a few minutes. But there is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. If you keep reading in the book of Acts, there is another outpouring of the Spirit that's going to happen. It's going to happen at the house of Cornelius, it's going to happen to Gentiles. The first time this is done to a big group, it is a sign to the Jews that the church is being established that this is God's church. These are followers of Jesus Christ, and they have been given the Holy Spirit. Then you go to the house of Cornelius, and what happens? You have Gentiles. Well, the Jews are saying, can Gentiles be part of the church? Because, I mean, the gospel is given to the Jew, the Jew first, but also to the Greek, also to the Gentiles. And so why is there having to be this big public display of the Holy Ghost coming and baptizing these Gentile believers to prove to the Jews who, who, who require a sign? The Jews. So the Jewish unbelievers received the sign that the early Christian Jews are true believers. God is pouring out the Holy Spirit on them. In the house of Cornelius, now there's Gentile believers. The Holy Spirit comes, pours out himself in a similar fashion. And it is very obvious to the Jewish believers that Gentiles can be a part of the church. What happens to us today? Let's look at this. When a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, there are at least five major things that take place. First of all, he regenerates. We're going to talk about that in detail in just a minute. Number two, he baptizes. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you are saved, you have already had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to go to a special church service where you work up all this stuff, you get worked up into a frenzy, and you get baptized by the Holy Ghost. And now you're some kind of actual real Christian. Um, That happens when you get saved. Number three, um, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the new believer. Number four, the Holy Spirit fills the new believer. Number five, the Holy Spirit fills the new believer. So let's talk about this first one here: regenerates. <clears throat> what does it mean to regenerate? The Greek word is talking of, it literally means a rebirth. It's talking about a new creation, being made into a new creation. One person defined it as a moral renovation, but it's to be reborn. It's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter three. You must be born again. Wilmington said he literally, talking about the Holy Spirit, recreates him, that's the sinner, and gives him the nature of God. The Holy Spirit thus functions as a divine midwife to the repenting sinner as he ushers him into the kingdom of God. This is accomplished by the instrument of water, which is symbolic language for the word of God. Let's read some of these passages that talks about the regeneration of the believer. First, let's go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And what process did he use? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, does a work in a new believer's heart. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God shows us mercy, and the Holy Spirit washes us. That's why it's so important when we witness that we use the word of God. That is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to convince sinners, to convict sinners of their sin. It's what he uses to bring about this change, this renovation in our hearts. Um, John chapter 3, Jesus foretold this, as I've already mentioned. John chapter 3, let's read a few of these verses here. John chapter three, as he's talking with Nicodemus, let's start at verse three. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be, there it is, there's regeneration, born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now I have thought of this many times as the first here, the birth of water being um, just the natural birth. There has to be a natural birth and then there has to be the spiritual birth. But I, I may have been wrong on that because he may be talking about the word of God here. There has to be the Holy Spirit. There has to be a, a new birth through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit. I could see either one. But regardless, um, it has to be a process done by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit, this rebirth, this regeneration, it's where God takes us from the natural man, births us into the spiritual realm. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And here he gives an explanation of this in verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is, so is every one. That is born of the Spirit. This process is not something we see with our eyes, but it is a spiritual process that happens in the heart of a person when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. We call it the new birth. It is this process of regeneration. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Peter one and verse 23. being born again, there it is, there's regeneration, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, does a work in our heart, produces the new birth. Um, Ironside refers to the passage where Jesus here was talking in John chapter three, was talking about the Holy spirit working and it being like the wind that you can't see. You only see its effect. And Ironside said, he is invisible, but he makes his presence felt in a mighty way as he convicts and regenerates sinful men. He changes men completely. You recognize the power, although you do not see it actually working. You see a vain, worldly woman, and suddenly she becomes a quiet woman of prayer. You see a wicked, godless man changed into a saint. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. You do not see the Spirit, but you see the power manifest in the life. So when we get saved, first thing the Holy Spirit does, he regenerates us. He brings about a new birth. We become a new creation. We receive the nature of God. It's amazing to see a lost person have this change. Sometimes you can see it in their eyes. I can very vividly, as I was reading that quote, I remembered a little girl in Jamaica, we were doing a vacation Bible school, and I was talking to the kids who were wanting to make decisions after the Bible lesson. And we're outside the church, and I'm talking to them, and most of them, it's obvious they're trying to figure it out. They don't quite get it. But then we came to this one little girl and she was so troubled and her eyes were so dark and she's weeping over her sin. She stands there. She prays to receive Christ as her savior. And when she opened her eyes from praying, there was a different person inside. Her eyes were bright. There was so much joy. You saw something change in that girl's eyes. What was it? That was the work of regeneration. God, the Holy Spirit, had worked in the heart of this little girl and changed her into a new person, a person who now had hope because she has Jesus Christ inside of her. Secondly, he baptizes. So number one, say it with me. Number one, he does what? Regenerates. Number two, baptizes. Now, we saw that happen in Acts chapter two, but what about for us today? Well, first of all, let's look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, it was foretold that this would happen by John the Baptist. Uh, Mark 1 verse 8, I indeed, John the Baptist speaking of himself, I indeed had, have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> so he says, I am giving a baptism of water. He's dunking people in water. And I say dunking because not just because I'm a Baptist. Do you ever wonder where we get the name Baptist? Baptist. Because we baptize. We drown people in the water. I had one professor in school that would say that the literal Greek translation of the word baptize is to drown. You just immerse. You douse something in water. Um, if you think about it this way, the Greek word um, Baptizo also means um, to wash, like washing vegetables. How many of you want to eat a dirty apple? Let's say it's an apple um, that has just been sprinkled with some water. You're probably going to take it and douse it in water, right? The point is that it gets completely wet. That is the meaning of the word itself. The problem was when the English Bible began to be translated, There are two different people, and as far as I can tell, it happened when they were translating the King James Bible that they tried to figure out how do we translate baptizo. Because one group, the Puritans, said it means to immerse. It means to dunk them in. And I mean, that is a pure translation of the word. We could say, and he will immerse you with the Spirit. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Um, uh, John is down immersing in the water, or you could use like Dr. Estes would always say, and John the Baptist is down there drowning people in the um, Jordan. Um, but the problem was they weren't allowed to use that word because there was a second denominational group or second um, theological group translating together. So they were keeping each other accountable. Well, the, the, the high church people, they wanted to translate it, Sprinkle. Because, you know, the, the baptism to them was sprinkling over. So there is an argument here. How do they do it? They decide, let's invent a new English word. We'll take, because their point was, we want to give you a translation of the scriptures that actually gives you the sense of the Greek and not just, or and the Hebrew and Aramaic, and not just our interpretation of what we think it means. So they decide each person that reads this is going to have to study it for themselves and figure out what baptismo means. So we're going to invent a new English word, baptize. Um, It is a Greek word that has just been um, anglicized, transliterated. It's just simply, we now have a new English word. And so still to this day, Christians will discuss, what does that word really mean? Well, it's funny. Just look it up and see what it means. And it means to immerse. Why did I spend time talking about that? Because there are, to understand what the Holy Spirit does, we've got to understand this concept of him immersing us into something. Now, there were two, as I've already mentioned, two major times this happened in the book of Acts. The first, is at Pentecost for the Jewish believers. The second is at the house of Cornelius, Gentile believers. This is for the establishment of the church. It is for the um, assigned to the Jews. It is for the fulfillment of prophecy. John the Baptist though said, I'm baptizing with water. The Holy Spirit's going to come and our Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Look over at Romans chapter six and we get an explanation <coughs> of what this looks like in the Christian life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were, notice the past tense, were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Now, when I hear people talk about, okay, you have gotten saved, but now you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, It's usually, I have only ever heard it talked about in terms of what I'm going to get now, what I'm going to do now, what power I'm going to have now, and all about the Holy Ghost himself. It's not about Christ. And anytime the focus about the Holy Ghost gets away from Christ, it's gotten away from scriptures because Jesus himself said, the Holy Spirit is going to come to testify of me, not testify of you, testify of me. Me. And he says here, we were baptized into the Holy Ghost. No, the Holy Ghost baptizes us into Jesus Christ. We were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's why we baptize with water. It's a picture of what the Holy Ghost did to us when he baptized us into Jesus Christ. So now we can walk the resurrected life. You want to live victory over sin? If you're going to have victory over sin, you have to walk in live in the reality that you have been buried with Jesus Christ. You have a new nature. You're a new person. So now you have the power to say no to sin. Keep reading here. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So what did he say? He said we were baptized. When did that happen? When we got saved. We were baptized into Jesus Christ, but now it's our responsibility to walk. Um, we'll talk about that at the end of the message. Let's look at a couple more verses here about the bapti- baptism of the Holy Ghost. 1 um, Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing to a very carnal church, 1 Corinthians 12. Let's start reading at verse 12. He's been talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 12, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. What is the baptism of the Holy Ghost all about? It's not about speaking in tongues. It's not about having supernatural gifts. It's not about healing people. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is about us being placed into Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes, he immerses us into the body of Jesus Christ. We call it the church. But we are baptized into the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. Another aspect of this, which we don't have time to cover tonight, but another aspect of this is that being immersed into the body of Christ, we are made a part of the bride of Christ, who he's preparing us to one day come to the marriage supper of the lamb and celebrate as the bride of Christ. That was the work that the Holy Spirit began in you and in me the day we got saved. He baptized us into Jesus Christ, into his body, There are many members. Look what he says here in verse 13. He goes on. He said, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Remember what we said about Acts? Those two major baptisms of the Holy Ghost, the very public ones. The first was to show Jews being baptized in. The second one to show Gentiles have a part as well. And now Paul is addressing all of this. And he says, both Jews and Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, Whether you are a master or whether you are a servant and whether, sorry, and have all been made to drink into one spirit for the body is not one member, but many. And then he goes on. Each one of us have a place. Each one of us have a part. Each one of us have a function. Each one of us have gifts been given to us by the um, Holy Spirit. Verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's what happens the moment you are saved and you are made a part of the body of Christ. Look over at Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. So you might ask, as we're turning over here to Galatians, why would God do it so publicly? Well, I thought we already addressed that. Why did God do it publicly in the book of Acts? Why did he do it publicly to the church, to the Jews? As a what? As a sign. It is a public sign of what, and plus the Holy Spirit, he's just first now coming to permanently indwell believers. So it's a big, it's put on display. It's giving living proof of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in the book of Joel. God does it very openly He makes a show of what is happening here so that more Jews will believe. And that day there were like 3,000, wasn't it, added to the church? Why? God was showing what was happening. This is what's going to happen when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he did it in a very public way the first time and at the house of Cornelius as well. Galatians chapter 3, begin at verse 27. He's just talked about the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ, that being the law now we take the law of God and we give it to a person. Look what happens in verse 27. He said, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He said, this is something that's already happened. You have put on Christ. Now the commandments given in Colossians put on Christ. In other words, you have been placed into Christ that you and I, that may not be the reality of our walk. So Again, that comes into the end of the message. But he said, we have put on Christ. We've been baptized. We've put on Christ. So number one, he regenerates. Number two, he baptizes. Speaking of the baptism of the Spirit, um, Louis Sperry Schaefer said, since the baptism with the Spirit is the organic placing of the believer into Christ, it is that operation of God which is, uh, establishes every position and standing of the Christian. No other divine undertaking in salvation is so far reaching in its effect. It is because of this new union to Christ that a Christian can be said to be in Christ. And being in Christ, he partakes of all that Christ is. His life, his righteousness, and his glory. The unbeliever who is without Christ enters completely into this union with Christ the moment he believes. The baptism of the believer, what a powerful thing. Um, Galatians chapter 3, I want to read two more verses here. The last two verses in chapter 3, 28 and 29. When we've been baptized into Christ, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So he said, all those promises God made to Abraham, he said, because you've been baptized into Christ the moment you got saved, all those promises now belong to us. We are, as he said in 1 Peter, a a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. How did we get to be that? The moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit immersed us, he baptized us into Christ, making us part of his body. And now we get to experience the promises. We get to experience the life of Christ because of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost doesn't give you supernatural abilities. The the baptism of the Holy Ghost puts you in Christ and makes you heir to the promises of Christ. What a powerful, powerful thing. That's better than any magic tricks I could do after some religious church service where I get all worked up. Much, much better. I'm going to go home and be wore out after it. I've had charismatic friends. They come home from church and boy, are they wiped out after all the emotions that just went into that church service. There's a major wiping out. But after I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the one that's talked about in the Bible, I get life. I get spiritual energy because I am in Christ. So number one, let's read number one together. Number one, he regenerates. Number two, he, number three, he indwells. He indwells. Got pictures up here. Pictures help us remember things. Notice the old house clip art up here. There is the Solomon's Temple. Um, let's look here at some verses about the indwelling. Look over at John chapter 14. And if you studied John with us in Sunday school, you knew we were about to go there. John 14. Let's start out with verse 20, because Jesus talks about two things here. He foretells the baptism of the Holy Ghost that puts us in Christ, and he also foretells the indwelling here. Um, Look at verse 20. At that day, talking about when we we receive the Holy Ghost, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're put into Christ, and I in you. This is where... Jesus Christ himself comes to indwell us. How does he do it? Through the work, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Look at 14, chapter 14 and verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, one like myself, that he may abide with you. This is to take up residence, and the, the Greek word literally means to take up permanent residence. He's not renting. He's not squatting. He's not staying until he's uncomfortable. He is taking a permanent residence in your heart. He said, he will abide with you for how long? Forever. Well, I thought abide meant to move in forever. It did. And then he says it again, just to make sure that we understand that it is permanent. He says forever. So he comes to indwell a believer for how long? forever. Now what's going to happen when he comes to indwell? Look back at John chapter 7. Big festival day at, um, in Jerusalem. They're at the temple this morning. The um, priests have come out and they poured barrels of water out that has rushed down the steps of the temple, down into the street. And as this water has come rushing down on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up and listen what he declares. John chapter 7, Verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, that's when all that water is poured out of the temple, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, talk about a teachable moment, water running down the steps of the temple. And Jesus says, if any man thirst, while we're on the subject of water, let's talk about this. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now we could stop right there and go, what on earth is he talking about? Well, we need no, we don't have to go anywhere else. We don't need a commentary. It's given to us in the next verse. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus stood there and said, if you believe on me, then something's going to happen to you. You are going to receive living waters. And where are they going to go? They're going to go flowing through you. Wait, we, re- we sang a hymn a while ago. Channels only. Um, I'm trying to find the right verse. I'll just start at the beginning. How I praise thee, precious Savior, that thy love laid hold of, on me. Thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might thy channel be. That's what this, this hymn is talking about, is John chapter 7. We're a channel, we're a conduit through which the Holy Spirit's going to work. Empty that thou shouldest fill me, a clean vessel in thy hand, with no power, but as thou givest graciously with each command witnessing thy power to save me, setting free from self and sin, thou who boughtest to possess me in thy fullness, Lord, come in. Jesus, fill now with thy spirit, hearts that full surrender know that the streams of living water from our inner man may flow. Jesus had foretold on this last day of the festival, he says that those who believe in me, the Holy Ghost is going to come and there is going to be rushing water. The water has been rushing down the steps of the temple that morning. He said, this is going to happen through you. You are going to receive the Holy Spirit and he's going to work through you. Romans chapter 8. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. The only way you and I can live spiritual lives is if we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He is none of his. If we do not have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us, we do not belong to Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse number 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things With spiritual and he goes on here. We were given the Holy Spirit. We have him indwelling in us so that we're able to understand spiritual things. A lost man reads the Bible and goes, I don't get a thing out of it. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Because he's reading someone else's mail. Anybody ever sat down and read somebody else's mail? I got I my phone, I my phone got broke this week, and I was I'm using my old phone now. And it works most of the time. But it was funny. There was a conversation going on this week between my wife and my parents. I I would have been in the conversation had my phone not been off, broken. When I turned my phone back on, finally, I got the SIM card in here, turned it on. I read things that my mother had written, and I read things that my wife had written, and it didn't make any sense. I didn't have the full context, I had missed part of it because my phone was off at the time. And so those are still out in cyberspace somewhere, I suppose. They never got downloaded to my phone. So I only have parts of the conversation and I'm reading it going, this is dumb. This does not make any sense. And I realize I'm missing something. And when a lost person reads the Bible, they're going to miss something. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling them. The Holy Spirit indwells us to be our teacher to be our guide, to give us wisdom, to give us direction. That's the reason why we can read a passage of scripture. We're praying about a life decision. We read a passage of scripture and we get the answer from the Bible. Somebody else look at that and go, that's not what that says. That doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, what are you talking about? But we know because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through the word of God. The Holy Spirit will also just give us direction. If we listen, will give us cautions. Uh, Sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell us who to pray for. That was recently I had um, at least two different friends um, contact me saying, what's going on with your family? How can I pray for you? That was something specific I was praying about. And I was praying, Lord, who do I talk to about this? And then I have two different friends contact me, asking very specific, probing questions. And it's a little weird. How do they know this? They have the Holy Spirit of God. When I'm with your pastor, Rebecca, um, all of a sudden I get a text out of the blue. Never gotten one like that from David Waller. What's going on? And I was thinking about texting him. And I get this message from him. What's going on? The Holy Spirit was speaking. One day, one of our kids was in the house doing something. They were very preoccupied. And all of a sudden, they just felt so strong. They didn't understand the Holy Spirit being in them and speaking to them or anything like that. They just knew. They felt this urgency so strong. And this thought came into their mind. They had to get out into the backyard to protect their brother. They go running out of the house. And there is a snake, a copperhead coming up behind his brother. Anyway, the kid runs over, kills the copperhead, and everything's fine. But Laura and I are going, son, that was the Holy Spirit speaking to you, telling you to get out of the house and get to your brother. He even knew which brother to go protect. That is a work. That's when the Holy Spirit, that's when we're listening. The Holy Spirit is speaking. First um, Corinthians chapter three and verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. This is something Christians should not be ignorant of. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That should scare us a little bit. 1 John 3.24, he talks about God, anyone who went in and defiled the earthly temple, he said God would destroy. He said, don't think you can get away with defiling the spiritual temple of the Holy Ghost. He's talking about our bodies. When we are aware that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it should affect the way we live, the things, the music we listen to, everything about our lives. What happens? I love this little picture right here. You have this Jewish boy in the house and his dad is helping him. I thought, what a picture of the Holy Spirit. He moves in to be our teacher, to be our guide, to be our helper. We have a comforter in the Holy Spirit. So let's review here. Number one, he what? Regenerates. Number two, he. Number three, he. And number four, he seals. He seals us. Um, Notice the picture up here the king seal, that signet that the king would. Where to be able to put a mark, put a stamp on something to show this is his approval. This is these are his words. Um, over here we have the picture of the seal on a letter. Why would a seal be put on a letter? It's to preserve that letter, to preserve its contents, so that when the per- person who was supposed to receive the letter they could break the seal and see what was inside. A seal could also be used to protect something, to preserve something, and that is what the Holy Spirit came to do. He came to preserve us. For what? Look at this first passage here, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse number 22. 2 Corinthians 1, 22, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. God has done something special for us. He has sealed us. With what? The Holy Spirit is the seal. He was given, he came to indwell us, to put a seal on our hearts. For what purpose? Look at Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians, he gives a more clear explanation of this. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, "...in whom ye also trusted..." After that, ye he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that, ye believed, after you believed, what happened? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. This earnest is the down payment. That's why I have the guy with the money, he's received the down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment in our hearts until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What's he talking about? What have we been sealed for? What have we received a down payment for? Chapter 4 and verse 30, he gives gives even more explanation, and grieve not the holy spirit of god whereby ye are sealed unto what? The day of redemption. There is going to come a day when you and I will die or when we will be raptured out to be with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is preserving us. He's keeping us sealed. He is the mark. He is the down payment until the day we get to be with Jesus face to face. When does that happen? He said, when you believe. That is going to happen right after you believe. So the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ, some things happen. Number one, he what? He regenerates. He changed me. He made me a new creature. Number two, he baptizes. He baptized me, made me a member of the body of Christ. Number three, what does he do? He indwells. The Holy Spirit came to live in me forever. What an awesome thing. That's the reason why we can say, as I've said it before, when we're living on this earth, Christ lives with us. And when we die, we go to live with him. So living or dying, we are with Christ and he is with us. What a powerful, powerful truth. Number four, he seals us. He is keeping me preserved. I do not have to work to keep my salvation. I work to please him. I work because his power is working in me, but he has sealed me. What an awesome thing. And if I say that I can lose my sealing, whose power am I doubting? I'm, that's right. That's right. That's right, Creed. I am doubting the power of God. If I doubt that the Holy Spirit has the power, uh, the wax just, it didn't stick. Oh no, the Holy Spirit fell off again. I got to get him back on. And so, oh, oh, now I'm resealed. Anybody ever dealt with wax seals before? Okay, they don't always hold. The ones I've had don't hold very well. Um, When I graduated high school, somebody gave me a, a wax seal thing. It had the letter B or A one. I don't remember. It was so cool. You drip the wax on it. Of course, me, I was so bad at it by the time the wax was all dripped and enough for me to stamp it. It was too cold for me to actually get the stamp very well. So I quit trying. But the Holy Spirit doesn't quit trying. He doesn't need to test it. The moment we get saved, the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he seals us. He puts a permanent mark. On our spirits. What an awesome thing. Number five, read it with me. He fills. He fills us. Let's look at this Acts chapter 2. We've already read that. Um, The believers were filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to preach the gospel. Ephesians chapter 5, he gives more explanation of this. Very important verse to understanding the filling of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He uses a negative example here. And he gives a command here, don't be drunk with wine. And he uses this as the analogy. A person who gets drunk with wine, we call it, they become under the influence. Under the control of the alcohol. And he says, I don't want you to be filled with alcohol. I don't want you to be a drunkard. Don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this word filled can have to do with a filling up, that something gets full as opposed to empty. But um, that's not what he's really talking about here. Put it in the context. He's talking about control, something that consumes you. You consume alcohol, the alcohol is going to consume you. People say, oh, I can drink just a little. I can control it. How many alcoholics have said that? And now they're in rehab centers or they're drunks on the side of the road. But they thought they could control it. The truth of it was they couldn't. And Paul said, don't get in that situation Allow the Holy Spirit to control you. And it's interesting here because with all of these other things we've talked about, those are permanent things. Those are things the Holy Spirit does, and it's a permanent. But here he uses a verb, be filled. Now, it's interesting. The early church, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to preach. Peter stood up and he preached. But if you keep reading in the book of Acts, there's another day. It says, and then Peter being filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, well, I thought he got filled on the day of Pentecost. So why is he having to get filled again? This is the only one of those five works of the Holy Spirit that has some dependence upon us other than our initial faith. Here, be filled. It's a verb. It's an action, but yet it's not an active verb. It's a passive verb. A passive verb means something that happens to you. More specifically, here's something that you allow to happen to you. What he's saying here is allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Don't be brought under the influence of alcohol. He said, bring yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Allow him to have control. Herbert Lockyer, he's talking about the fact that this is a passive verb. He says, the call is not to do, but to permit something to be done in and for us. Such an infilling of the Spirit is, of course, dependent upon the consent of the will and a right attitude before God. You and I have to make the deliberate decision on a regular basis in our lives, to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. I used to think being Spirit-filled was so scary. Until one day, I came to understand what it means is that I'm yielded to God. And when He tells me to do something, I do it. When the Holy Spirit tells me, shows me something in Scripture, I'm to obey it. It's that simple. This is the concept of being filled with the spirit. He provides us this filling when we get saved. Let's go back here. He provides us filling when we get saved, but um, you and I have to stay submitted. That's the reason why he would say things like, grieve not the spirit. You and I can make decisions where we grieve the Holy Spirit. You and I can quench the Holy Spirit when he's speaking to us and we refuse to obey. He does not force obedience upon us. This is the filling of the Spirit. It is that yielding to Him. It's that decision to obey Him. The filling of the Spirit is so well illustrated in Luke chapter 4. Flip back to Luke chapter um, 4. And verse number 1, Jesus has been baptized. He has been down to the Jordan River. He was baptized and... He came up out of the water. His genealogy is given here in Luke. And then in chapter 4 and verse number 1, after the baptism, that's when, remember, the Holy Ghost came, descended on him like a dove. Why such a public show? This is to show. This is a sign. John the Baptist had been told. The one that the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and lights on him, that's Messiah. So, It's coming. I've actually heard people teach that that was the day that Jesus received the Holy Ghost so that he could be, he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Holy Ghost was involved from the process. That was an outward show that day. So John the Baptist knew exactly who the Messiah was. He was walking in obedience that day to the Father in baptism, showing us what he wanted us to do when we put faith in him. But look at verse number four, the Holy spirit comes, descends on him like a dove and verse number four and Jesus being full of the Holy ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the spirit. When he was full of the Holy ghost, what did that mean? That meant he was following the Holy ghost. Read that, look up that word full or filled with the Holy ghost Um, and search it through the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, anytime the Holy Spirit came and filled a person, it was for the purpose of service. There was something they were going to do. The Holy Spirit was coming to speak through them or to cause them to have an ability to do something. In this case, Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit, that means he's listening, he's paying attention, and God the Father is giving him direction, leading through who? The Holy Spirit. Jesus is showing us how to act. When we receive the Holy Spirit, when he leads, we should follow. We sing footsteps of Jesus that make the pathway glow. Well, how did Jesus walk? He listened to the father. He followed the spirit. He was showing us how to do it. One more verse, Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five and verse number 16. This I say, then walk in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So often we spend so much time trying to figure out how to overcome sin. It has been overcome. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And he makes it very clear, very simple here. Start following the Holy Spirit and you'll quit sinning. Whatever your sin is, lust, greed, whatever it is, he said, just start following the Holy Spirit and that will deal with the sin issue. I remember there was a time I was memorizing all kinds of verses about a couple specific sins I was struggling with. They were always on my mind. And so I'm memorizing all these verses that talked about the sin. Well, I felt more guilty about my sin, but I didn't have any more power to overcome the sin. I didn't have any more power to walk in obedience. Because all I was thinking about as I was memorizing all the verses were about the sin then all of a sudden one day I realized that I needed to start obeying Jesus and start reading the word and having fellowship with God, not talking about my sin to God. I mean, I'd confess it, but then go on, read the rest of the Bible. And then all of a sudden one day I realized, wait, wait, I haven't committed those sins in so long. And guess what happened that day? Boom, boom, I fell, both of them. Why? I, my, I, my eyes got focused on the sin again. I quit following the Spirit. I got out of the Word. He's washing me and cleansing me with the Word. And I was walking in obedience. The moment I got distracted, boom, I would fall. So, what does it mean to have the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, like Lockyer said, it means to have the right attitude toward God, it means my will has to be surrendered to him. And just like Jesus was baptized and followed the spirit into the wilderness, you and I need to learn to follow the spirit of God. So let's read these one more time. Number one, he what? Regenerates. Number two, number three, number four, number five, He fills, and as we have already stated, these four are permanent. When we get saved, he regenerates us, he baptizes us, he indwells us, he seals us. Those don't have to be done anymore. They're permanently done. The filling of the Spirit is talking about He has come in, He has given us everything that we need spiritually, but you and I have to make a choice to be submitted. So when we pray, Holy Spirit, fill me, we're not asking for the God to give us more of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand we're asking God to put more of us. Or rather, uh, how would be a better way to say that? Instead of saying that I'm, I'm not asking for more of the Holy Ghost, I'm giving more of myself to the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? The filling of the Spirit is not about how much of him I have, but how much of me he has. Does he really have control over my life or not? Now, when we talk about this, as I said at the beginning, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? To magnify who? Christ. It's not about me. It's not about me putting on a show. It's not about me bringing attention to myself. It's about Christ. And if you think about it in that way, I mean, he regenerates us to make us more like Christ. We have the new birth. We're born into God's family. We're baptized into Christ. He fills us so that we can proclaim Christ and we can live Christ's life. And when it comes down to it, all five of these works of the Holy Ghost are all about Christ. It's how Christ lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just ask you as we end tonight, what is your attitude toward God? Will you yield yourself this week to his Holy Spirit, to his leading, to his guidance, and if you're not saved today, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and he will save you. The Holy Spirit will make you a part of Christ, will seal you. It's an awesome thing to know I am sealed, to know I am saved, to know that I am held securely in God's hands. And how did he do it? He did it through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life so do I need a new baptism? I've had sufficient baptism of the Holy Ghost. Another question is, do you have to be baptized to be saved? Well, not water baptized, but you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He has to put you into Christ. What an awesome, awesome thing. Let's take out our hymn books as we close tonight, and let's sing together.